Welcome back one and all to another day here at The Damage Report with me, John Irola, still in the shed because LA is still unfortunately in the atmospheric river or whatever they're calling it. Basically, it's raining and the city as well as its people are simply not equipped to deal with moisture. And so we're just hunkered down here digesting the news. And then I guess, I don't know, bringing it back up for you. That got gross, but so is the news, so I guess it's appropriate. But I am John Rolla. We do have a lot of news to discuss, including very significant breaking news that will bear not just on the legal and political future of Donald Trump, but perhaps of our very republic. We're going to be touching base with a few of the other sort of legal aspects of Donald Trump's 2024. Checking in on some figures that we haven't talked about very often recently on the show, including Rudy Giuliani. And we've got this border bill. There's just, there's a ton to jump into. And why I'm starting off the show solo. We will be joined by Abelina Sabrina just a little bit later on. So very excited for that. So stay tuned for that. And if you're on a platform where you can do this sort of thing, please hit the like button, share the stream, basically let people know we're live. They can come in, join in the discussion as we roll into the breaking news. A federal appeals court ruled just before we went live today that Donald Trump's claim that he has absolute immunity from prosecution, in particular, most important part is against the charges that he tried to overturn the results of the 2020 election is bunk, rejected. It's not gonna happen. And much more important than that is what the judges actually said in making that ruling. Now, of course, this is the Court of Appeals. It is not the last stop for this. All expectations are that the Supreme Court will be ruling in, uh, ruling in on that, and we will go over that. But first, I do wanna talk about this appeals court. Now, uh, there are two Democrats on it, or at least two judges who are appointed by Democrats, one appointed by a Republican. So there is representation from both parties there, but there are two that were appointed by Democrats. So expect to hear that a lot from right wing media uh, throughout the day. But they effectively said that he's not the president anymore. And so he can face prosecution like any other American saying for the purpose of this criminal case, Former President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant. But any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. We cannot accept former President Trump's claim that a president has unbounded authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the most fundamental check on executive power. At bottom, Former President Trump's stance would collapse our system of separated powers by placing the president beyond the reach of all three branches. We cannot accept that the office of the presidency places its former occupants above the law for all time thereafter. Which is, I think, well worded. It's powerful. It's also common sense. I mean, one would think, look, the idea that you are immune from all prosecution, no matter how horrendous the crime that you commit, should be laughable. And along the way, it has been laughable at various points. I will remind you that while we had to wait a month for this ruling to come out, it was just, I guess, a month ago that we were discussing their attempts in the Trump legal camp to win over the judges. And that is where we had this back and forth, if, if I can show you this to remind you, over the possibility of a president being immune from prosecution after having his political rivals assassinated. Like literally, I am going to dispatch SEAL Team 6. They're gonna wipe out the opposition and then I'm probably good. I mean, as long as the Senate doesn't convict me, I suppose I'd have to be impeached and actually removed from office. Although I guess if I step down, then that literally can't happen. And so I'm just free and clear for the rest of my life. It is an insane idea, a dystopic idea of how America could function 
under this legal, look, I wanna say rationale, but there's nothing rational about it. So an idea of how this could work. So that's done. The immunity thing is done until the Supreme Court weighs in. And that's the real X card right here. Now we're gonna get to that in just a second. I'll give you my thoughts, but there are responses from both of the sides on the legal aspect of this, including Jack Smith, who had a spokesman who was asked for comment on this and didn't have anything to say. I like to imagine they sort of like said no comment and then winked, but no confirmation yet on that. But obviously this is what Jack Smith wanted, or I should say what Jack Smith wanted was for this to go directly to the Supreme Court. So we would not have to wait a month or two or three for the next step of this. But this is at least an intermediary step until that. And then on the Trump side, he dispatched his spokesperson, Stephen Chung, who said, if immunity is not granted to a president, every future president who leaves office will be immediately indicted by the opposing party. Why? I don't know, he's not explaining. I guess because they're vindictive, I suppose. It's not the way that American history has gone. Says President Trump respectfully disagrees with the DC Circuit's decision and will appeal it in order to safeguard the presidency and the Constitution, which he cares deeply about. Now, that comment says that he respectfully disagrees. We're gonna get to what he actually said and we'll get to evaluate whether it was respectfully or not. But for now, we do have to try to speculate about what happens from here. So. We know that it's being appealed. Obviously, the Trump legal camp is going to appeal it. The next stop, the only other stop is the Supreme Court, which at least until recently was considered final. Texas is questioning that. Lots of Republicans are coming out and saying that you don't have to abide by the Supreme Court. So maybe we shouldn't consider it all that final after all. But generally in these sorts of things, you would expect them to be the final word. And the thing is right now, we're waiting. Like. Until this is finalized, the January 6th trial can't go forward. It also potentially bears on his other legal troubles, but that's by far the most important. And we know just last week, Judge Tanya Chutkin indefinitely suspended any progress on this trial while we await the word on presidential immunity. This would seem to bring us closer, but we don't know for sure. The Supreme Court obviously has an obligation to act quickly, but that doesn't mean that they're going to. I can't necessarily guess how they're gonna rule on this. I mean, look, they're incredibly conservative. The court is absolutely packed with right-wing radicals, but that has not always meant in practice that they do whatever Trump might want them to do. They seem to have a stronger attachment to right-wing ideology, You know, some of the culture war issues that the right cares about, um, trying to lift you know, regulations on business, that sort of thing, rather than commitment specifically to Donald Trump, the man, but that said, their decision in the end is not the only way that they can influence the outcome of this. You know, they may not want to say that he's immune. They may not want to set that precedent, but they may still want to protect him and they don't have to say that he's immune to protect him. They can just sit on their hands for a while, maybe for a long while and you know, push us past the actual election. Donald Trump maybe skates through and then the entire thing could just go away. The DOJ could stop pursuing it or he could be pardoned, he could pardon himself. Um, and wouldn't that be nice for Donald Trump? So we're gonna give you more speculation, but the Trump spokesperson is not the only person weighing in. So let's turn now to Donald Trump himself. Donald Trump has, just before the show went live, responded to the appeals court throwing out his claim of absolute presidential immunity on his attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election. It was described previously as respectfully disagreeing 
Well, let's get to the actual words and see what we think. A president of the United States must have full, capital F, full immunity in order to properly function and do what has to be done for the good of our capital C country. A capital N nation destroying ruling like this cannot be allowed to stand if not overturned as it should be. This decision would terribly injure not only the presidency, but the life, breath, and success of our country. I don't know what the breath thing is. Is that, oh God. I have a feeling that someone's gonna look into it and Hitler's gonna have used something about a nation's breath or something. Like that's gotta be a Nazi thing, right? Cuz what the hell is that? He's not a poet and that makes no sense. Maybe his brain is shutting down, maybe it's Nazi, I don't know. But we'll continue, a president will be afraid to act for fear of the opposing party's vicious retribution after leaving office. I know from personal experience because I am going through it right now. I suspect that is not the only reason he knows it from personal experience that they would like to use vicious retribution against the other side. I think he knows it because that is the core of his entire being is vicious retribution against everyone who has wronged him. But. Blah, 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 political weapon, blah, blah, election interference. Even our elections will be corrupted and under siege. According to you, they already are. So it's bad, it's dangerous, save presidential immunity. Which by the way, we don't have time to go like super in depth to this, but I think it was the Guardian put together an amazing roundup of all of the times that Donald Trump has called for current or former presidents to be prosecuted for things that they did as president. History is replete with him calling for Democrats to be locked up for things they did as president. So I guess at some point he changed his mind on presidential immunity. I think it might be once he started being charged with crimes perhaps. But anyway, he's saying save presidential immunity. Obviously, I think the vast majority of thinking people do not think that you should be able to get away with literally anything you want as president. But regardless of what the Supreme Court ends up doing, the most important thing is to do it now, do it promptly, because America deserves to know. They deserve to know whether Trump is guilty of all of the things he's being accused of. And we're gradually getting more information about some. Obviously, with E. Jean Carroll, we now know that he did that. But some of these crimes are really important and the American people, the voters, his voters deserve to know. And for the Supreme Court to simply wait, to just sit on their hands, as I said, and let the clock run out, that is a massive dereliction of the duty that maybe they don't have, but should have to our democracy and to voters on both sides of the aisle who should know whether he did the thing he's being accused of doing. As a quick aside, obviously he did it. I mean, we lived through it, we know what he did. But I'm saying in a court of law, can the special counsel actually prove it? Beyond a shadow of a doubt before a jury. And we can't go forward on that until the Supreme Court acts. They've been watching this. Whatever researcher reading through old books they need to do, they should have already been doing that. And so this should be expedited. We should have an answer within weeks. But unfortunately, it's probably not the way that it's going to go. And it matters, by the way. If I could jump ahead to graphic seven, we can't dive into all the details here, but if Donald Trump is actually goes through the trial and is convicted of a crime that will change people's minds. Now, of course it should if you're convicted of a felony, but it does. And let's leave that up there for a second. So it is important that you know two things. One, that it changes people's minds. I guess as an addendum to that, it potentially switches who wins the election. And two, it doesn't change nearly enough people's minds. I mean, it's like a seven point swing if he's convicted of a felony. Now, granted, they could be thinking of other felonies than the January 6th one, but like 74% or 81% of the Republican vote would still go to Trump 
if he was convicted of a felony, which is less of a shift than we've seen in past polls. It is still something like one in 10 Republicans care about this sort of stuff. He would still narrowly win independence, but not nearly by enough. And look, it certainly is something that would activate young voters. About 15 points of that block would shift towards Joe Biden. And so look, obviously this matters pragmatically, but just philosophically, this is one of the biggest events in American history. We need to know, and right now the only people stopping us from finding out exactly what happened, whether he was guilty, whether he is innocent is the Supreme Court. So the ball is in their court. Hopefully they, they get ball handling soon is the way that I'll put it, and I should have put it some other way. Anyway, with that said, that's the big breaking legal news. But I do want to just touch base on a sort of development in another one of his cases, the E. Jean Carroll trial that I talked about earlier. Trump lawyer Alina Haba is widely, I think, considered to be one of the worst lawyers in the country because she was the point person in the E. Jean Carroll trial that resulted in Donald Trump losing something like maybe $100 million. Now, of course, she would love to put the blame somewhere else. And one way to distract people in the MAGA world who might be mad at her is with some fake outrage. And here it is. Did I get this right that she was initially awarded $5 million and they came back? For sexual assault. And then I want the world to remember something. We're in a planet where George Floyd got 40 something million. People that have wrongful death get 10 million. But this jury awarded for defamation for a sitting president to deny an allegation to say, I didn't do that. I don't remember meeting this woman. And this actually works against sexual assault victims who are real victims. That's what his statement said. As a sitting president, he had to address the press. Then the other statement was on the lawn going, you know, answering reporters. Again, he says, I did not do this. $83 million, $83 million. People die and get less, die and get less. It's Trump derangement syndrome and beyond. Yeah. I agree with her on this one thing, this first thing ever. This is definitely a case of Trump derangement syndrome. She's utterly deranged um, or just a bad lawyer or uh, maybe both. Why not both, I suppose. Um, She knows exactly why the amount is as high as it is. She's supposed to pretend not to understand that. Now I buy frequently when it comes to the law that she does not understand what's going on, but she knows exactly why the amount is so high. It is designed to stop him from defaming her in the future. And by the way, this is like not a hypothesis that we need the amount to be high to have it do that. We've already tested all of this. He was fined effectively five and a half million dollars. That did not stop the behavior. He still kept doing it. Then 83.3 and he has stopped it. So the theory was right in the end. For him to stop breaking the law, he needed a bigger fine. And think about how fundamentally elitist her stance is that it should be much lower. It should be a million dollars, two million dollars. So effectively, if you commit these crimes, crimes where you're not gonna go to jail, it's just a financial penalty, and you're poor or middle class, you are crushed, broken for the rest of your life. But if you're wealthy, it's it's a rounding error. You just get to write it off. Why would any rich person change their behavior when they're fined you know, 0.01% of their net worth? If these fines are supposed to have any effect on people's future behavior, it obviously has to be proportionate to the wealth that they have. She knows that 
every single regular Republican should be in favor of that because they pretend that they want the elites to stop getting away with what they're getting away with. Well, this is a perfect demonstration of how necessary larger penalties are and how they actually function. Now, there's one other aspect to this that I do wanna to get to. So really fast, let's jump to the second video. It was like being in an epic twilight zone where no rules were allowed but for the other side. And then she goes out there and gloats and says she's gonna buy France and a wardrobe and a motorcycle and this and that. I want everyone to remember, and I said this in my closing argument to the jury, she's here to get a check. And after this, she will continue. She didn't care you know, about the defamation. She didn't, she cared about the publicity. And I argued that ad nauseum. Unfortunately, when you block a jury from seeing video footage, tweets that prove our case, when you block them from letting us have an expert, but they can have one. My advice to her would be not to go ahead and, and purchase any motorcycles or, or penthouse apartments. Okay, uh, legal advice would be better served coming from virtually any person in the country than Alina Haba right now. But of course, that's not why she's providing the advice. They're gonna appeal it, they're gonna do that. I don't see how it's going to be overturned. So if she wants to buy whatever the hell she wants, she gets to. She won that money and she won that money as a result of like a decades long process of trying to get justice for the fact that Donald Trump sexually abused her. I know Alina Haba, you wanna avoid having to say that. Acknowledge that the guy you're so committed to sexually abused her and then spent literally decades defaming her over it. But that is what happened, a jury has already found that she can spend the money on whatever she wants. And I will say, I will give her credit in one thing, nothing having to do with the law. She's just dog stuff when it comes to that. But she does understand how to be, I guess, raise her level of popularity on the right. And you saw it throughout that. Nothing that she said about the law made any sense or mattered. But what definitely came through in her comments there is utter disdain for women, particularly women who have been abused, particularly women who have been abused by powerful, well-connected men. She would have you believe that she doesn't give a damn about them. They're, they're lying, they're exaggerating. Who cares if you're hounded by millions of deranged conservatives calling for you to be raped or murdered? You don't actually care about that defamation, you're just here for a check. So you can get a fur coat and a motorcycle or whatever. Utter disdain for women. That is what she's selling far more than her legal expertise. There's obviously a lot of developments in the legal world and we will be tracking them obviously. We'll get to more on that soon enough, but we're gonna take our first break. We have a fun surprise on the other side of this. We're back one and all, both myself and Abelina Sabrina, comedian. <laughs> uh, political commentator, longtime friend of the show. Thank you, Sabrina, for being here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. I don't know if you've been following, but there's been a, a brouhaha about the border, both at the border <laughs> and in Congress. So we're gonna jump into it, starting with this. Here's the problem for you guys. Uh, the Border Patrol Union came out and the acting CBP chief both came out and said they're not, it's not perfect, but this is the best thing we've seen in decades. So are Republicans gonna say that the Border Patrol Union and the acting CBP chief are wrong? Well, look, they can have their perspective, Steve. And we've it's got a lot of respect. It's their jobs, Tom. We've, well, and it's our job to actually make sure the laws will accomplish what we're seeking to do. 
Dear God, they've lost Ducey. Uh, so look, that was Tom Emmer being like, oh, the Border Patrol, they can have their perspective or whatever, which you might think, well, that seems kind of disrespectful of a group that you Republicans have always pretended to worship. But that ain't disrespectful, this is disrespectful. The Border Patrol Union has, has said, come out and said, the bill is better than the status quo. Does that affect your thinking on this? Well, I, I think it does have something to do with the pay structure that's in the bill. I understand that they're desperate for, for measures that will assist, okay? I don't know if you heard at the end, but she laughed when the Speaker of the House is like, oh yeah, the Border Patrol loves this bill. They just want to get paid, which is ridiculous of them. I, I definitely think. By the way, remember, the Republicans would have you believe that we're facing a literal invasion at the border from tons of men, sorry, military age men who are flooding across the border. They're dangerous, they're big, strong men, massive hands. And the Border Patrol not only says that they like this bill, but that they want to be paid to do the job that you're describing as something that normally is only done by like Marvel superheroes. And you think that's quaint? That was one of the most elitist things I think I've ever seen from the speaker. And Laura Ingram thought it was just hilarious. But anyway, to be clear, the Border Patrol has come out in favor of this bill. It represents the Border Patrol Council, effectively the union for Border Patrol, represents more than 18,000 agents. And it said that the bill would, quote, drop illegal border crossings nationwide and will allow our agents to get back to detecting and apprehending those who want to cross our border illegally and evade apprehension. Now, here is the thing. They, considering what they have said about the border and border patrol over the decades, kinda have to respect that. The rest of us are not necessarily under any obligation to assume that that is the only perspective that matters. But that's certainly how the right has acted up until recently. But the idea that they would turn against this union should not come as a surprise. Sure, it's law enforcement, but it's also a union. And right-wingers hate unions, so much so that they're willing to do things like, and I will remind you what Donald Trump did about a month ago. Remember when the UAW endorsed Joe Biden and Trump wanted to pretend that he had union support? So he literally paid $20,000 to rent a plant that he filled up with people who not only were not union auto workers, despite holding up signs implying that they were, many of them weren't auto workers at all. It was effectively just like what he did when he initially came down the escalator in 2015. They were actors that he had paid to pretend to support him. So the right doesn't care at all about the Border Patrol Union or what they think about this bill. Sabrina, I'm curious about your thoughts about both the substance and the politics of this and how the right is dealing with their seeming hypocrisy in this topic. Well, I think the fact that this bill has bipartisan support from, from leadership is already kind of like a red flag for many people. I'm not surprised that Border Patrol wants more funding to do the job you know, that they're doing. Um, I personally am not a fan of this bill at all. Um, but I'm I'm not surprised union or not. I personally don't even think that border patrol workers should have a union. I think that unions are meant for workers who individually they don't have a lot of power, and so they need you know that collective support uh, for bargaining purposes. Where if you work border patrol, you do have a lot of power over people's lives. So union or no union, um, of course they're going to want more money for themselves um, to yeah. do their job. Yeah, look, um, I'm not necessarily going to just take every single thing that that people in you know working in law enforcement are going to say about their job. 
Um, but that said, like even if if they weren't being you know told to shoot migrants in the leg or I don't know feed the alligators in the moat or something, it's still a job. You know, they should be able. To, I think they should be able to advocate for themselves, and maybe that could be a component of this bill. But I am glad that you pointed out, you know, your personal opposition to it. I realized as I was prepping for today's show, and I'll try to keep this brief. I've been so focused on the hypocrisy of the right that I'm not entirely sure whether I've made clear what I think about this bill on the show. And I guess that's probably how it should be at the end of the day. What I think about this bill is largely irrelevant, but. But yeah, I agree with the progressive critique of the bill, and we could go through. AOC is coming out against it, a number of other progressives as well. It is ridiculous for the right to oppose the bill because it's been written to cater to them. That does not mean that it's awesome. So I just want to be very clear about that. And we can have a conversation about whether even if it's bad or bad specifically for migrants, it could be in like Joe Biden's political interests to pass it so that he's seen to be doing something. Or maybe it would actually accomplish something. It would maybe massively cut down on people crossing the border, but in a way that is horrendous and violates people's human rights. These are all interesting conversations. That doesn't mean that I love the components of the bill. Again, it was written for right wingers by right wingers predominantly. Any other thoughts about this, Sabrina? Um, are we going to talk about like AOC and progressives? Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll read just quickly a couple of the comments that they made. So AOC said it's bad on process in that key immigration stakeholders are not at the table throughout the negotiation processes. So effectively, it's not like they were bringing in migrants or lawyers who represent migrants to talk about the process and you know have that be a part of the the the, the conversation. It just wasn't like they were talking to border patrol. They were talking to you know the law enforcement effectively. She also says it sets a very dangerous precedent to give her. Republicans everything they want in the border just to get some funds for Ukraine and Israel that are you'll have that for a bit and then you won't have any more money and you'll need more money but the law still continues so they get something permanent we arguably at least for Ukraine I would say I don't know about what AOC thinks about the Israel Israel funding get something temporary and there's others critiquing it as well so what do you think about that um, I think there's a lot of reasons why progressives should oppose this. Um, AOC is right that it, it would be horrible uh, for people at the border. It would open um, more camps. It would allow them to use AI in their like security measures. But also um, the fact that this bill does give 14 billion in security aid to Israel and 10 billion in humanitarian aid to Gaza. Um, it just the math isn't mathing there. Um, I, I don't support the security aid to Israel. So I think even that alone is a reason to not support this bill. So I, I would think that mm -hmm. progressives should definitely not be excited. And especially because, you know, Biden might not win. This bill would absolutely open the floodgates for Republicans to do all the nasty stuff that they've been wanting to do at the border. It's like, do we really want to set that precedent? I don't think it's worth risking. Yeah, yeah. Look, we know if Donald Trump gets in office, like, I mean, you know, it's going to be an absolute horror show at the border. Yeah. Um, but this bill would theoretically make the transition to that much smoother. Um, he would on day one already have conditions that he could exploit and and move beyond. So I, I do I do agree with that, and and it seems weird to like, like we're, we're they're they're giving them so much on the right in this bill, and what mm -hmm. do like we like big we get? Uh, temporary funding to Ukraine. That's something. That's something that theoretically the Republicans shouldn't oppose. 
suddenly they're like they don't want to stand against Putin. So that's that's like the one thing. How is that the one thing? I guess maybe some of the humanitarian aid to Gaza. I suppose we have to bargain for that. Nearly thirty thousand people have died, and we have to bargain to provide a little bit of aid. Again, I, I agree. the The scales are wildly um, out of parity on this. So anyway, I'm glad that they're speaking out against it. We'll see politically how it works out. But that said, I want to move to other things going on, including a gauntlet being thrown down. So whenever we're ready, let's launch to this. I don't think he's going to run, but I'd like to go for immediately debates. I'd like to debate him now because we should debate. We should debate for the good of the country. We can talk about these problems then and get him to change his ways. But I am officially doing that. I also put out, you probably noticed, that I'll take his spot at the Super Bowl if they want. We'll get very good ratings. So Donald Trump, all of a sudden, down to debate. He has been running as fast as he is capable, which is not very fast, from debating any of the Republicans. So now he thinks, oh, maybe I can, maybe I can scrape together a couple of neurons to debate Biden. But Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie, they might make me look bad. I'm not going to do that. And Joe Biden has a funny response to this sort of challenge being launched. We're going to get to that in a sec. But um, but Donald Trump is really focused, maybe more so than on the debate with this Super Bowl interview thing. So he bleated. Crooked Joe Biden is just announced that he will not be doing the big Super Bowl interview. A great decision. He can't put two sentences together. I would be happy to replace him, would be ratings gold. He is so desperate. And I think specifically, it's the Super Bowl. I think he's jealous of Taylor Swift. I think that's what this is about. I think that he thinks people are going to be looking at her during this, and he just wants to be a part of the conversation. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen. It's sort of a thing that the the president is supposed to do these interviews. I don't I don't necessarily love the idea that Joe Biden is take is missing out on an opportunity to maybe try to sell himself and his agenda or whatever. But I do want to get to his response to the debate, and then we'll discuss. Here is what Biden had to say. So he gets in a couple little hits against Donald Trump. I will say, like, okay, you're out, you're having fun, you're getting boba or whatever. Like, when you're on camera, walk with a little bit of authority. Come on, they're trying to pitch you as not being able to like you know put a couple of sentences together. Like, get out there, show some energy. Can we put like a shot of espresso in that boba or something? But anyway, um, they had been implying Sabrina that there would be no general election debates. Trump has he's fled debates for years and years now. The dude is terrified of debating people, but he thinks maybe he can do it against Joe Biden. What do you think? Can I just say, not the boba, like. <laughs> That that scene alone is absolutely Biden trying to appeal to Gen Z. Uh, I just uh, boba of all things. Like you haven't had boba before, Biden. It's okay. You can have a coffee. It's fine. Uh, just maybe not Starbucks right now. But um, Trump, I, I could see why he would want to debate Biden. I mean, we do keep seeing clips of Biden absolutely fumbling his words, not being able to like control his motor function sometimes. Um, so mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe that's what's giving him encouragement. Um, and I just, it, it, when when Trump debates, it's not like he cares about being 
right or moral. It's just about who can talk the longest, who's the loudest. And I think that he believes that he has the energy to do that to Biden um, based on what he sees, but also like based on maybe what the people around him tell him. They probably do advise him like, hey, don't actually debate the people who might, you know, take your nomination. You could take Biden, though. So I think Mm -hmm. maybe that's where we're seeing this energy come from. Look, I wonder whether he'll actually even make good on it. Like he he wants yeah. to project strength or whatever. But again, he has run from debates recently, and he should. Trump's brain is not in good condition. Mm-mm. If I was Biden, I'm not even sure that I'd want to debate him. If you recall, like the last time they debated back in 2020, Trump was riddled with COVID and lied about it. He risked sickening Joe Biden. So I wouldn't have a lot of trust for him at this point. Um, but I do agree with you about this being like a Gen Z play. I'm surprised he wasn't drinking his boba out of a Stanley Cup or something. <laughs> but, but anyway, there's accusations being thrown around against Biden that he can't put two sentences together. Well, let's see Trump's recent attempt to put just a single sentence together. Take a look. The country's finished. I did. In what regard? Uh, I think it's not going to be able to function. I think it's look at even things like supply chains, things we never even heard about. You never heard that term. So as a lot of people are noting, not a lot of people have heard the term supply change because it's not a term. Now, look, a lot of people are jumping on this and saying that Trump's brain is once again running out of his ears like Boba might. Um, And there's a chance that that's what this is. I think it's more likely than in this case, it's just his dentures sort of starting to fall out. He's slurring his words, he's tired or whatever. And so he meant to say supply chains uh, and he said supply change. But the fact that I'm going to extend that olive branch to him does not mean that he gets away from this without some criticism. He is implying that if Joe Biden becomes president, everything will fall apart, the economy won't work. Well, I will remind you that he said this back in 2020 and I don't know. Seems to be working. Like our supply chains are better than they were four years ago. The stock market's doing well. Wages are nominally up a little bit. Unemployment is low. At least from the macroeconomic stats that you type of people tend to talk about, Donald Trump, he seems to be doing okay. So the apocalyptic language doesn't really make sense. But much more importantly, what are you talking about that before the Biden years, we'd never heard about supply change? You were president during the first year of COVID. It was kind of a big deal. Are you telling us that you literally never heard anyone mention anything about the supply chain as it was breaking down, as people were having trouble finding formula and and, and diapers and toilet paper? And like you literally had never heard that term before. And even before the pandemic, you own an international business that constructs buildings. You've never heard of a supply chain before. How is that possible? So even if you don't think that this is a mental short circuit or brain rot setting in, he definitely comes out of this looking ignorant as hell. Sabrina, what do you think? I think it's time for these particular grandpas to sit down in the good chair and have a nap. (laughs) I (laughs) just let grandpa go to sleep at this point. regardless of whatever the reason that the both of these guys are, are mumbling, fumbling their words and their sentences. I think there, there are other candidates out there who could have been much better, who are more eloquent speakers. Um, mm-hmm. Just just let them have a nap at this point. Yeah, look, I, my last point will be, first of all, we all deserve, I think, a good nap. <laughs> but I, I will end with saying, I, I largely agree with Brett's breakdown of this, that they're both kind of falling apart mentally, but not in the same exact way. That Trump 
his thoughts are muddled, his memory is muddled. For Biden, it's his ability to say what he's thinking, I think, that is muddled. But I think for Trump, it's very much like he's confused, he's ignorant. He doesn't know these terms or he forgot that he knew them, which to me is a bigger problem than a guy who has, who occasionally gets sort of caught up on his words or something, which seems to be the case with Joe Biden. Anyway, with that said, we do have to take our second break of the hour, but don't go anywhere because we got a lot more news to discuss on the other side of this. Okay, everybody, let's jump into the news, including a spotlight on hypocrisy, starting with this. Americans were promised a secure retirement. Nikki Haley's plan ends that. Social Security, Medicare, how would you manage the entitlements? We say the rules have changed. We change retirement age to reflect life expectancy. What we do know is 65 is way too low, and we need to increase that, increase that. Haley's plan cuts Social Security benefits for 82% of Americans. Trump will never let that happen. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. So based on that ad released by Donald Trump, he is the candidate. If you're a senior or if you care about seniors who don't want Medicare to be touched, to protect these programs. Now, there's a report out this week that implies that that is not how it's going to work if he gets back into office. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, you should know that Donald Trump has for a very long time pitched himself as the guy to protect these programs. Here is an ad of him, or this is a speech of him back in 2020. Pitching himself as an advocate for senior citizens in the same way. We're going to be talking to our great senior citizens. That's what I'm here for today. We love our senior citizens. And I'm honored to be here in Fort Myers to reaffirm my solemn pledge to America's seniors. It's so important to me. I happen to be a senior. I will protect you, I will defend you, and I will fight for you with every ounce of energy and conviction that I have. You devoted your life to this country, and I am devoting my life to you. My administration is working every day to give our amazing senior citizens the care, support, and respect that you deserve. And you understand that we've worked together for a long time. He was taking some weird, really long, weird pauses there. Like if you're stressing, I'm gonna fight with all of my energy. I'm a protector for you. I don't know if I would take that to the bank. I certainly would not bet my life on him as a protector of these programs because what do you know? Reports are already coming out that those in his sort of policy circle, quote unquote, are working on a plan that would effectively fully privatize Medicare. We'll return to what the hell they're gonna do to Social Security at some point. But for now, their plan is to make Medicare Advantage the default enrollment option for people who are newly eligible for Medicare rather than like an alternate route you can take. That's what effectively the program is going to become. So. You'll be shocked that while it's very dubious as to whether that will provide any benefits to any senior citizens, it is a boon for private health insurers, which generate absolutely massive profits and growing portions of the revenue from Medicare Advantage plans. And it would further consolidate corporate control of the United States healthcare system. Now, here's the difference between traditional Medicare and the Advantage. Under traditional, enrollees are free to visit any doctor who accepts Medicare. Medicare Advantage plans, by contrast, often have limited networks of doctors 
that patients can choose from. And many providers have stopped accepting the private plans because they so often deny the prior authorization requests they require before patients can receive services. So under this new plan, the default is going to be corporate control effectively over corporatized plans being marketed as Medicare that are going to deny access, deny services, and deny your ability to go to many doctors. Almost exactly the things that they pretended to have a problem with Obamacare in. Remember them stressing like they're not gonna let you see your doctor. That is what they're working on right now. And that is what apparently is gonna be working its way up through the Trump administration if he gets in charge once again. And you can play these speeches and these ads, pretend to yourself that he's going to safeguard these programs that senior citizens rely on. But right now the work is being done to undercut that entirely. Sabrina, what do you think? Yeah, it's an absolutely terrible idea. People who have Medicare, they really like their Medicare. They like their doctors is what you know they like the most about it. And so if we switch to a more private approach, we're just going to see, you know, costs start to skyrocket, which when it comes to seniors who have limited income, um, it's actually going to be very terrible for them obviously. So I don't know who he's trying to appeal to when he's running these ads. Probably, again, the people in his inner circle who will benefit and profit from uh, privatizing uh, Medicare, but it certainly will not be helping the seniors. No, it's not going to help them. And all that we've described is really bad news for seniors Mm -hmm. in the short term. Going to make it harder for them to get the care that they that they need that they deserve. They're no longer going to be able to see theoretically some of the doctors that they would want to. Mm-hmm. But that's just like the short term damage that would be done. The long term damage is possibly far worse. In that, if you suddenly shunt a whole bunch of seniors over to Advantage plans that are far more expensive, the long term solvency of the entire program is very much in question. It already there's concerns about uh, with the way that the way that the the tax base is allocated for for this fund uh, for the, these programs. It's in question, but this would make it way more likely to utterly collapse, which would be a disaster for seniors. It would be a disaster for, for people who have relied on these programs for decades. But remember. There are tons of Republicans, wealthy wealthy Republicans, let alone executives at these private health insurance companies that don't want the program to exist. And isn't this kind of the perfect way to kill it? You don't actually pass legislation to remove it entirely. You just make it so that over time, naturally, it dies. Oh, What do you know? We tried to strengthen it and it still fell apart. I guess you guys all have to go back out into the entirely private health insurance industry. And that to me seems like the long term play. Um, but stay tuned for that. And as Sabrina mentioned, uh, the current system already has very high satisfaction rates. For those under age 65 with disabilities, it's nearly 80%. And for those 65 and older, 92% satisfaction rate. So this being a democracy, why wouldn't we completely change the system in a way that screws over the people who like the status quo? Sabrina, any other thoughts? I mean, if we're looking to change the status quo, I propose we eliminate private healthcare altogether. And we all have a Medicare for all type system. If if we're looking to, to shake up the status quo, that would be my vote. Yes, well, <laughs> regrettably, that is not one of our options, at least <laughs> no. uh, how it looks based on who's leading in both of the primaries. Mm-hmm. But certainly a conversation that we could hopefully return to once the choices are no longer the ones that it looks like they're gonna be. <laughs> 
Okay, with that said, why don't we move on to one more topic to close out our show. Over the past month, there's been some signs that the economy is rebounding. But despite that, times are still tough and perhaps no one is suffering more in the current economy than Rudy Giuliani. He's doing so bad that something has happened to his bank accounts that I didn't even know was possible. He has been overdrafted to the tune of $10,000. I didn't even know that you could do that. They still let you make charges on that thing after the first five grand. But no, his bank, City Gold, apparently he has hit more than $10,000 overdrafted. He's not disputing this. That is the situation he's in. And you might wonder, well, why would Giuliani want us to know that he doesn't have like three bucks to rub together? Well, there is an ulterior motive. He's facing tons of lawsuits, some that he's already lost, some that are still working their way through the system. He doesn't want to have to pay. And so if he can make sure that the jury knows that he doesn't have any money, then that could save him in future judgments. Kind of a dark mirror of what happened with Donald Trump in the E. Jean Carroll trial, where they were using that footage of him talking about how much money he has to really get the jury to juice the figure that he ends up owing. He's trying to do sort of the opposite right here. And I will remind you, by the way, we covered this at the time. His lawyer had said that the Georgia election workers damages, so that's where he owes the most money, and we'll get into that, amounts to, quote, a death penalty. That's what he said. And we laughed at the time, and it's still obviously hyperbolic, but but yeah, he's really he's doing bad economically. So he wasn't 100% wrong. He was worried about owing a ton of money, and he does over $150 million in debt, the vast majority of that being what he owes those Georgia election workers, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. So, I mean, it's not like he didn't put himself in this position, Sabrina, but he is in dire straits economically. What do you make of it? This almost makes you feel a little bit bad for Giuliani, almost. But then you remember, it's Giuliani. And again, like you said, I've never heard of anybody being able to overdraft $10,000. Um, welcome, welcome to working class life, I guess. Mm -hmm. But no, he's still going to be living the nice life for the remainder of his years, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, imagine if regular people got to overdraft more than I don't know what what's the usual like thirty nine dollars. I don't know how much people know. get. I mean, thankfully, there are some more protections than there were. I remember back in the day before that was capped. Like when you would see the the overdrafts, and in particular how they would like reorder them. So like the thing that puts you into overdraft territory gets put first, and then all the little minor things mm -hmm. stack up. That would be just a punch in the gut, and so. While I agree with you that like my inclination as like a person who has empathy is to like feel bad for him, I'm gonna save it for the people who are actually struggling. Oh, yeah. He can do cameos, he can get money from <laughs> Donald Trump or something. Most people don't have that as an option. Um, and, and I will remind all of you that this is all, this, these are all own goals. He could have just like done his time in New York and then sort of faded away, maybe do a speech at the RNC or something occasionally pop up on CNN, and then that would be it. That could be his life. You'd sort of think of him as, oh yeah, remember he was back in a time when the Republican Party wasn't as crazy. He would probably be able to sell some books or give some speeches or something, maybe a master class on city planning. I don't know, something crazy. And he would be fine. He would probably have healthy relationships with his family members. Um, I don't know, maybe someone would give him advice on how to color his hair without coming out of it looking ridiculous. He would be in a better state in almost every way, and instead he decided to stick it out with Donald Trump. And look at how that's gone for him. 
Did he not friend. get any residuals from uh, that Borat movie? I don't know if he. I don't know if he <laughs> qualifies. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I could see some lawsuits, maybe potentially, but I don't know about money coming out of that. <laughs> but anyway, and isn't it crazy that Rudy Giuliani, who at one point, for I think reasons that he never really deserved, was thought of as this like amazing mayor. I mean, he happened to be mayor when a terrible thing happened, but he also did terrible things to the people that lived in New York City. Um, is like struggling to put like a couple bucks together as he faces 10 more lawsuits. Dominion voting systems, Smartmatic, his former assistant. Oh my God, I forgot about the claims of sexual abuse from the yeah. former assistant. Oh my <laughs> God, I just remembered all of those details. Don't feel bad for him. <laughs> he could owe so much more money. And in the meantime, like George Santos is pulling in hundreds of thousands of dollars on Cameo or something. We live in such a wild world. But anyway, <laughs> any final thoughts about Rudy Giuliani? Not about Rudy Giuliani, but George Santos on um, Cameo is definitely a more fun ride. I like him better here than in office. So mm -hmm. Cameo is a fun route for them. He's doing less damage and he is taking yeah. money from people, but they're all willingly giving it up in yeah, this case. And they know. Percent. Yeah, as long as he makes the video, then I guess he's not really scamming anyone anymore. Uh, by the way, he could still end up in prison. Okay, so look, that's Rudy Giuliani. We're gonna see, my my greater fear than any fear for him is that um, by stressing how tough it is economically for him, just dragging out the system. I don't want him to screw over the Georgia election workers. I wanna make sure that they get their money. I hate how long you're able to drag this sort of thing out. Like we're seeing with Alex Jones. Um, it looks like they were able to work around that with Donald Trump. Once his appeal process is done for E. Jean Carroll, they should have the money right then, or she should have the money right then. Um, I don't know how it's gonna work with Rudy Giuliani, but I hate the fact that they're so often able to evade justice for a really long time. That is unfortunately all the time we have for the first hour of the show. Thank you everyone who's been watching, and especially those of you listening on the podcast. I know that this is the full show you think. But there's actually more content that we produce, and it's available at youtube.com slash the damage report. So definitely check that out. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. I love reading those. Um, and with that, there is more to come in the aftermath. So everybody uh, stick around. Sabrina and I will be uh, getting into all that on the other side of this.